Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we bow before you. We bow before you because you are God. You redeemed us in Christ out of the pit of darkness. And you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son. And in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And that's why we bow before you. We bow before you because you're our creator. And we pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would teach us, that you would remind us who you are to us and who we are in relationship to you. Oh, Father, ignite our hearts, ignite our faith in Christ. Remind us that we do have this relationship an ongoing fellowship, not because we somehow arrived there on our own, not because we're wiser and smarter, more intuitive than others, but because of your grace to us in Christ and because of everything Christ had accomplished for us. We thank you, Lord. Would you humble us now as we open up your word and teach us much? As we are reminded from this great book of Colossians, we praise you, ask for your mercy and grace upon me as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, church. We want to greet um, all of you who are here, plus um, some guests and, and friends who are with us this morning. As we open to Colossians chapter 1, I just want to remind you what a privilege we have as children of God to gather in a place like this, to listen to the word of God, to worship Jesus and, as scripture says, hear him speak to us. Now, I don't think we should get used to this. We must not used to the, get used to this. Take these moments for granted, especially in light of what is happening nowadays. It is through the active listening of God's word that our faith, according to Romans 10, is built up and we grow up in Jesus Christ. Now, as we turn to Ma um, Colossians chapter 1, what a journey it's been for all of us, especially those of you who have been with us um, through the entirety of the study of the book of Colossians. We began our study in March. March 1st was our first Sunday as we looked at Colossians 1, 1 and 2, and here we are 22 Sundays later, 22 sermons later, by God's grace, we're going to conclude our study here this morning. We have four verses left here for us to look at briefly, but what I want to do is primarily focus on the themes in Colossae, the take you from chapter 1, verse 1, and go all the way through the end, 418. And I want us to look at the whole before we zero in on the final few verses and make some observations there. If you were paying attention, we have been making the case as we were studying verse by verse that the theme of Colossians is living in light of Christ's fullness. The new life in Christ must be truly centered on Christ. In fact, it is the life of Christ in us. What we think of Christ, church, matters a lot, not just for 
eternity, but for now, for this life. And this morning, I want us to look once again at the features of this new life which are found in Christ and of which Paul was laboring to highlight here throughout this letter. We've already looked at verse by verse through this entire epistle. I want us to simply look at three observations and make three simple points, what it means to have this new life and what it means to live out this new life in Christ. So open with me to Colossians chapter one, verse one. We don't usually do this on Sundays, but I want us to do something different this morning. We're going to read the entire letter of Colossians. And we're going to start with verse one. And I want you to open up your own copies of scriptures and, and follow along as we read so that we can saturate our mind. This is God's word. And we're going to allow the word of God to speak to us and to teach us here this morning. So buckle up. Colossians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, who are Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who's a fellow servant of Christ on our behalf, and he has informed you of your love in the spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously given thanks to the father. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. 
Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generation, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, also I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for all those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rules and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without a cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth, which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of The world, why? As if you are living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and 
self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, our Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Ask for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he had done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mysteries of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greeting, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Eustace, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and you for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. What an amazing letter. As we look at the overall themes of this letter, I want us to look at one thought here, our new life in Christ. Our new life in Christ. What are the characteristics of our life in Christ? And I want us to make three observations. Number one, number one, life in Christ is God's work. And I think as we were reading through the entire epistle, one theme that stood out probably the most is the theme of God's work in us, accomplishing our salvation for us. Life in Christ is from God. Life in Christ is from God. God is the source of life. He is the originator of life. Consider how Paul starts out this letter. Go back to chapter one, verse three. We thank God, he says, for your faith. Now, why does he thank God for such a thing? If, if faith is man's contribution to salvation, why thank God for it? And look at Paul. He not only thanks God for their faith, but he's like, I want to thank God for your love also. And I want to thank God for your hope and, and for your fruit that you are bearing. Why? Well, because he knows where their faith comes from. It comes from God. Look at Verse 11 of chapter one, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It is God who strengthens us and gives us faith. And if you were paying attention as we were reading with verse 12 and all the way through verse 15, he says that it is God who qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints. It is God who rescues us from the domain of darkness, transfers us through Christ We are said to be redeemed and forgiven, verse 14. Through Christ, verse 20, we are reconciled and through him to reconcile all things to himself. This is what God does. This is what the Father does in Christ. This is all of God's work. The new life that the Colossians experienced 2,000 years ago is nothing they generated in themselves any more than they generated their physical life. You and I play no part in our physical life. And it is still true to this day, church. In our life with Christ, God is the main contributor. 
Because look what Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, while at the time that we are enemies of God, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son. This is the supernatural work of God done out of deep love and sacrifice for us sinners. How else do you think you and I came to know the love of Christ, came to believe in the Savior? It is a gift of God. But notice something else here in this opening chapter. It is not only a gift from God, but our life in Christ is a gift for God. Not only from, but for. Notice what verse one or chapter one, verse 16 says, for by him, all things were created. Before bringing us this new life in Christ, Paul states that from the very beginning, when all things were created, they were created for him. They were created for God. But you will remember, I'm sure that Adam, Adam, right? In, in chapter one and in chapter two, he was, he was created to have this ongoing relationship and fellowship with God. So what happened in Genesis three was a disruption of this fellowship, disruption of this relationship with eternal God so that it created a literally deadly separation from him. Because God warned Adam, the minute you eat of the tree, you will die. That is why Verse 21 of chapter one, he says, you were alienated from God. You were alienated before knowing God. You were hostile in your mind. You were engaged in evil deeds. And because of our sin, we became estranged from God. We became enemies. That's what it means to be hostile. You are enemies with God. We wanted nothing to do with our creator. Instead of generating this eternal praise and worship that you and I were created for, our hearts began to generate idols, offering up various excuses for why we do not follow God. And we demonstrated this hostility in our action. He says we were engaged in evil deeds. This is us, church, even though we were created for God. But look at this glorious U-turn, what I call in chapter 122, and yet he reconciled. He reconciles you. God turns towards us in order to turn us around towards him. He reconciles you. How? Through the blood, through fleshly body of death, through his son, through Jesus Christ. And why? Why does he reconcile us? Look at this. In order to, here's the purpose of our reconciliation, so that we may be presented before him. He reconciles us for himself. What? To be holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Just like the original purpose created for him, our second birth, our new life in Christ, is for him and for his glory. But I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice in, in chapter 1, verse 9, in Paul's prayer, that new life is given to us so that we can be pleasing to him. Look at this. Paul prays that the believing church, those who experience this new life in Christ, would walk in a manner, he says, verse 10, that is worthy of the Lord, and this worthy manner will end up pleasing him in all respects. To please him, I want you to walk. God saved you and me so that we would walk and our walk would be worthy of the calling so that we may please 
him. Why, the question is for us, church, why should we be living a life worthy of the Lord? Is it to please our parents? Children, are you living your life as Christians to please your parents? Or maybe it is to please ourselves. Are we living Christ's life to please ourselves or maybe please our, our neighbors and to demonstrate how kind of holy neighbor they, they may have? No, our goal, our, our motivation, our ultimate joy is to be pleasing to God, to be pleasing in his sight. As Paul says in, in another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, therefore, in light of God's glorious truth, in light of God's love for me, therefore, we also have this as our ambition. This is our persuasion. This is our goal. Whether at home or absent, we must be pleasing to him. Now, why, why church? Why should we be pleasing to God? The answer is not because we must, but because we may. It's because we can. Because we were enabled to. Because we're given this privilege to be friends with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He invites us in to do this and to joyfully respond to his saving work. We are, as we are reminded here, invited to have not just the knowledge of, but a relationship with God. And this new life is especially about God. We are reconciled with God, friends. How would you describe your life? You're sitting here this morning. How would you describe your relationship with God? When you look back over this past week, would you say that you've had your relationship with your creator restored? And the way you lived your life gave evidence to that reality, or perhaps you felt this week and maybe feel now that, that something is radically missing in your life. Now, of course, many of us Christians, we, we feel this way sometimes, but, but not in the way that we did before we came, became saved, not in the way that unbelievers feel this difference, this change. Friends, when there's an emptiness in life without knowing God, without serving God, without being, as Paul says, reconciled to God. And I'm just not talking about our circumstances in our lives. I'm, I'm talking about the entirety of our life. No matter what's going on, happiness or joy, you are missing out and you know it and you feel it. But the new life with Christ is about a reconciled relationship with God. Without immunity from bad circumstances, you will get those. Christian, I, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced some of these things. You may, you may get your pay cut. You may get COVID. Some of you guys have struggled through this already. You might need to find a new place to live because the homeowner is kicking you out. And guess what? It may all happen this week. But your experience through all of this will radically be different with God than it would be without him. It's just like Paul. We were reminded in chapter 4, Paul is writing from prison. Paul is writing from prison. And look at Paul. Paul is rejoicing. 
Not because of his fabulous circumstances being tied and chained, but because of his relationship with God. He had, his life had been transformed because God changed him. Our new life in Christ is the restoration of we were created to have. But through sin, we forfeited that relationship, but now in Christ. In Christ, God takes the initiative to restore us back to himself so that we may be, according to verse 10, pleasing to him. So I ask you once again, if you're here this morning, do you have this relationship with God? Are you reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the love of God in Christ? And are you living for Christ this morning? Life in Christ is, first of all, God's work. It is from God and it is for God. And this is the very first thing that we must understand and we must affirm in our life, but it doesn't stop there. Number two, I want us to see that life in Christ requires personal commitment. Life in Christ is not just God's work. It is not just from him and it is not for him. It is true, but life in Christ requires personal commitment commitment. Life in Christ, first, I want us to see that it produces a radical personal change in the believer. If you're in chapter two, read verse 13 again. When you were dead, that's before reconciliation. That's, that's in Adam. That's before he saved you. When you were dead in the, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Look what happened. He made you alive together with Christ. You were one person before. God makes you alive together with Christ. So radical change from death to life. Look at chapter three, verse two. Paul then says, in light of all this, set your minds on things above, not on things uh, that are on the earth. For you have, what, died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's this radical change that happens. And here's what Paul is getting at. The sin that you were once in living in is now you're supposed to be dead to the sin that you were once entertained. You in Christ supposed to be dead to once you were connected to these sins, you were dead in them. But now these sins should no longer be characteristic of you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have new orientation. You have completely different association. You have new affiliation. And that is with your Lord and Savior. Your heart, your mind, it says, have been radically changed and transformed. Therefore, because your mind and your heart are changed, your, the inclinations of your heart your motivations, right? The desires, your pursuits, they're radically different. The root has changed. And at the root, you are now a different man. You are now a different woman. And listen, friend, this is a change that is evident in everyone who is saved. This change here that Paul is talking about, being dead to sin, is evident in everyone who is saved. Look, Paul began to thank the church again in chapter one, verse three, because Epaphras reported to Paul about the fruit. It's like, I'm looking at these crazy guys who once worshiped idols in Colossae. 
whose life was in shambles. They repented. They trusted the Lord. And, and Paul says, I, I thank the Lord. Why? Because of this radical change that took place in your life. The gospel came in. They believed and it changed them so that they started what? Growing good fruit. And friend, if you're sitting here this morning and you're questioning whether or not this is true of you, and if in fact there is no change in your life, you may need to question whether you have trusted. You may need to question whether you have surrendered, whether you have been reconciled, whether you have been born again. Listen, what Paul talks about here in chapter two and in chapter three of Colossians is not some super Christian level of holiness. We're not talking about two-tiered, like there's the guy who got in and he sees something, but, but maybe not. And then there's the, the holy folks, you know, the guys that you see up there who are pursuing Christ. And, and yeah, them, maybe I'm not at that level. Maybe I'm just right here, you know, dorking around with sin here and there, less than I used to, but, but you know, not really. Paul is talking about a radical change. You were dead. Now you are alive to God. When God is at work, God is just too big to be completely missed in your life. And church, I'm not just talking about the extreme conversions. Some of you guys have extreme conversions. Some of you were saved out of, you know, life of drugs, life of abuse, and whenever someone asks you to share your testimony, you stand up before the campfire or something like that, and you give your glorious testimony of you being restored to life. And man, praise God for that. But I think we should also be careful to draw too much attention to the radical nature of one's personal change compared to another. Like you have this guy who was rescued, who was restored, right, from, from this a life of debauchery. And then you have another one who's converted, right, from self-righteousness and pride growing up in the Christian household. Biblically, every conversion is equally radical. Every conversion is equally radical. And don't discount, friends, don't discount. You who grew up in a Christian family, you needed as much grace you needed as much mercy. You needed as much power to be restored to Christ. So if you got in a Christian home and you didn't, quote, smoke and chew and go out with girls that do, unquote, your conversion is just as radical as the guy who did. Why? Because it required the resurrection power of Christ to raise you from the dead and to give you a new life. But here's another thing. Even though this radical change happened, right? Life in Christ produces this great struggle because of this change. We're in a great struggle. Uh, Christianity is not easy. I, I'm sure I'm not telling you something new. Christianity is not easy. This is not what Paul suggests at all. He says there are plenty of challenges. There are rivals both outside and, and within us. And so in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore, church, 
children of God, as you have received Christ Jesus, walk in him, continue to walk in Christ just as you have received them. How did they receive him? By faith. They received Christ alone, relying on him alone. And so, as we've said in the past, we, we're not sure exactly what, what this heresy was that the Colossian church was dealing, but we can deduce from these verses that the false teachers they were suggesting that whatever Christian needed, they could get it apart from Jesus Christ. There were also some who were suggesting that Christian needed to complete their sanctification, complete their Christian walk by submitting themselves to various laws and rules and regulations. He says, to really know God, brother, sister, you must experience, right? If you really want to experience him to the fullest, then you need to observe this or you need to observe that. You need to do this. You can't touch that. That's, that's the whole point of the latter half of chapter two. Well, what is Paul's response? Paul says, no way, no way. If you have Christ, you have everything. Look at 2.10. For in him, you have been made complete. Complete means whole, overflowing, full. If you trust Jesus Christ here this morning, there is no second program. There is no more 12 steps. There is no other thing you must do because Jesus Christ is your complete savior, full savior. There's nothing else to add to Christ's church. In fact, if you believe in Christ and you try to add something to him, then you have no Christ at all. No Christ at all. You compromise the very faith that you confess. You rely entirely on Jesus Christ or you don't rely on him at all. That's why he says in verse 23 of chapter two, Church, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Anything other than Christ promises wisdom, promises knowledge, promises maturity or other things, but it just gives an appearance. None of these things are good to fight your flesh, to overcome your sin, to overcome your fleshly indulgence, he says in, in verse 23 of chapter 2. And we need to be aware of our tendencies to, to want to keep the laws in order to judge ourselves spiritual. It's not the way of Christ. It's not the way Christ's life manifests itself in us. So Paul says, you need to struggle. You struggle against things that are outside in order for you not to fall suspect and victim and therefore dethrone Christ, but also from within Look at uh, chapter three, verse five, all the way through 11. Also from within the old self, Paul realized that, that our life in Christ will not be walking in the park. And our hearts and minds, we need to be regularly calibrated, regularly adjusted. And that's why he says to the church, set your minds Continue to set your minds on Christ. This is not a, a once for all transaction. This is a transaction, the gospel. That's why we say preach the gospel to yourself. That happens every single day, every single minute of our lives so that we would not fall prey. Our temptation is to set our minds on earthly thing. And that's the reality. If you, if you lived in the world this past week, you were facing these struggles and you realized that. And that's why Paul exhorts these believers, listen, Deal with the old self by considering, he says. Number three, or ch uh, chapter three, verse five, therefore consider. 
Remind yourself constantly that your old self is dead, that you are new in Christ, that Christ died for your sins. He paid the penalty for that. You have died with Christ. In union with Christ, you were resurrected with him to a new life. Consider yourselves. Put these things. When they creep up, you put them aside. What? Immorality, impurity, evil desire, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Paul says, get rid of it all. Put them all aside. Put them all down. You're created new in Christ. Remind yourself who you are in Christ. Confess your sins. And brothers, this is the struggle, right, sisters? That's why we say that life in Christ requires great personal commitment. Listen, if you're battling sin, and if you're here, you are battling sin, the encouragement is to continue to trust Christ and keep battling. Know that you are perfectly holy in Christ, and and as you battle sin, you're going to increasingly show that holiness. But the reality is, We're going to battle until the very end when our breath expires, when we will be made complete, finally, perfect. Life in Christ also produces perseverance, and that is a great encouragement to us. Chapter 1, verse 23, if indeed you continue in faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Church, we hear, we believe in the perseverance of the saints because scripture teaches it i was thinking about that why is this doctrine so important why is believing in the preservation of the saints so important i think two things number one it deals a huge blow to nominal christians who place all their hope in that one prayer that they said without continually demonstrating fruit of salvation without giving ongoing evidence that I am God's and Christ is in me. Paul teaches that if you confess faith in Christ, you must continue in faith without being moved away from the hope of the gospel. Church, our struggle is not over until our breath expires. And we should encourage one another to keep on walking by faith and trusting God every step of the way. That's why when, when our members here are lagging, we encourage them to look to Christ and pursue holiness and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And the way you do that is the demonstration of the fact that you have life, you have the spirit in your heart. But second, second, those of you here this morning who tend to only think about your own sin, and you can't get out of, up out of bed because you're, you know, you see your sin and, and there are so many, you know, that we sing the songs, our sin, there are many, and we stop right there. There's just so many sins and we just, we, we can't overcome. Is God really at work? Is he really going to finish what he started? That's what we oftentimes ask. Man, this doctrine here offers hope. If, if, if life in Christ is God's work, as we said at the beginning, then there's no question he's going to complete his work. Philippians chapter 2, remember, he says, you work, persevere, strive, but know it is God who's at work in you. So in our struggle and pain, we persevere knowing that if God decided to undertake this project and that project and that project and that project, He's going to finish the project. We can trust God, but you press on. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Remember, sinner, it is not your joy in Christ that saves you. 
It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ that that is the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not to your hope, but to Christ, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. And if you do that, then 10,000 devils cannot throw you down. There's one thing which we all, there's one thing which we all of us too much becloud in our preaching, though I believe we do it very unintentionally, namely the great truth that it is not prayer, it is not faith, it is not our doings, it is not our feelings upon which we must rest, but upon Christ and on Christ alone. We're apt to think that we are not in a right state, that we do not feel enough instead of remembering that our business is not with self, but with Christ. Let me implore you, he continues, look only to Christ. Never expect deliverance from self, from ministers, or from any means of any kind apart from Christ. Keep your eyes simply on him. Let his death, his agonies, his groans, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercessions be fresh upon your mind. When you wake up in the morning, look for him. When you lay down at night, look for him. So two things, life in Christ is God's work. Life in Christ requires personal commitment to continue to persevere because of the change that had occurred and because of our Lord Jesus Christ. But number three, finally, life in Christ requires the involvement of others. Christianity is not a private experience. It involves mixing our lives with other people. Christianity, church cannot be lived out in a closet. You cannot... Look at yourself in the mirror and say, what a Christian. What a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, Jesus-pleasing Christian. Life in Christ will affect everyone around you. And that is the conclusion of Paul's letter here in Colossians. Beginning with Colossians 3.12 and all the way through the end, Paul says that life in Christ will affect you here in the church that's why he said, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. Why here? You got to practice it here. That's why he says your life with Christ, it affects the way you relate to your wives and to, to your husbands, to your children. It reflects at work, 22 through 4.1. Listen, no part of human existence, personal or corporate, remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Christ. Christ is visible and he affects literally everything. Everything. Paul not only wrote about it though, Paul also demonstrated such involvement himself. I mean, think about this letter. Paul spends all this time listening to Epaphras' message and he writes this letter to the church. I, I will remind you, he has not seen any of these Christians. And he writes to them, why? Because he cares about their faith. He is invested, he is involved to the point where he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. In prayer, fighting for them to know Jesus Christ, for them to trust Jesus Christ, for them not to be persuaded by another gospel, but to continue to believe the saving message of Christ. He's involved with this church. We studied last Sunday about his diverse team that helped him carry on this message. 
And he's also involved with other churches. If you were to flip to, to the last couple of verses here in chapter 4, he says, Greet the brethren, verse 15, who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans. And for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Paul is saying this letter to Laodicea was probably, we don't know for sure, it was probably a letter that he wrote to Ephesus. Because the Ephesian letter was probably a circular letter. It meant to go around few churches. And so he says, as you read this letter, send this letter to them and make sure that once that letter comes to you, read that letter as well, because it will fill in a lot of what I didn't tell you here in Colossae. And if you notice the Ephesians letter and the letter to Colossae, they're very much similar, although they uh, focus, it's a little bit nuanced. They focused on different things, but Paul cares about not only this church, but other churches in Laodicea and in Herapolis. He encourages the man named Epaphras, who was probably a minister, maybe a pastor in Laodicea. And he says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Be faithful to the Lord. He gives no reason why he uttered this command. But nevertheless, he probably knew something from Epaphras that this man is trying to bail perhaps on his ministry. And he says, listen, man, you stay faithful to Christ. You stay faithful to his people you stay faithful to the ministry which you have received. Why? So that you may fulfill it. And then he ends this letter. You know, Paul did not always write his letters in the entirety. He had a secretary that wrote, but he always signed his letters. And that's what he said in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the signature. This is the approval that this is mine. And then he says, remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. He ends the letter where he started, focused on grace. Grace in Christ has been the subject of the entire letter. It was written to show the undeserved love of God in Christ, to highlight all that flows from his grace. Christ alone, church, makes us complete. And we must live out this life in his fullness for God's glory. What a, what a glorious salvation we possess. God in his son decides to love us, to restore us to himself. He started the work. We labor and we toil now knowing that we're different, we're new. We have been reconciled to God. We have this relationship with God, but ultimately trusting in his sovereign power to get us all the way through because what he started, he will complete but I want to speak to those who are singing, sitting here among us and they don't have peace with God. You know it. You know who you are. You may even be running from it. I plead with you to humble yourself before this glorious God who sent his son to purchase your life, to reconcile you to himself. He is your only hope of salvation. There is no one else. You can run around, you can look for things, you can look for other people. Nothing else will take care of what God promises to take care of, and that is your sin. So run no more, resist no more. And as Paul says, we beg you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God and come to experience this new life in Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling this morning,
either with temptation outside or temptation within, the word of God teaches us to continue to walk by faith. Just as we have received Jesus, we fight by faith. Not by giving us more regulation, not by doing more, by trusting Christ more because his righteousness alone is what saves us. Don't submit yourselves to all of these regulations as a form of holiness. On the other hand, don't give in to sin thinking that, you know, once saved, always saved, and I can, can live however I want. It doesn't matter. No, this is a lie from the pit of hell. It matters. Persevere. Renew your mind. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He alone is your salvation. And finally, you might be tempted to live the Christian life in isolation. Sometimes it's just easier. Sometimes it's just easier. Being here with one another requires work, requires patience, requires forgiveness, requires gentleness. And so it's easy just to retreat and to go away for a season before things just settle down. Maybe because you don't want someone to see that you're struggling with sin or or because it's a hassle for you. Christian, we're all sinners and we're all in need of God's grace every single day. And we all need to learn how to live with community, in community with others. And so as Paul calls the Colossian church, I wanna call our church to commit to loving others by being patient, by forgiving, by reflecting the life of Christ here at home, at work. Commit to working in ministry with other brothers and sisters as Paul had done. Why? For the building up of God's kingdom and to please him. Church, what a letter. What an instruction. But more importantly, what a savior. What a savior we have in Christ who makes us complete, who equips us to live, live a life that is pleasing to him in all aspects. We do not lack a thing if we walk by faith in Christ. Our Father, we thank you. May these words ring true in our hearts. May the, this message of Colossians may not be just closed and, and we would move on to something else. This is the school that we never graduate. We always trust Jesus. We always believe in him because he alone is our savior. And even though we're going to continue to struggle with sin all the way through eternity, we praise you for Christ, who is our Lord, who redeemed us and who covers our sin now and forevermore. But give us courage to move forward, to encourage one another, to live out the qualities of Christ that are in us so that we can demonstrate your faithfulness in us and our love for you. We praise you, Lord. In Christ's holy name we ask, amen.